Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good morning. Can we just say a thank you to our worship team one more time for leading us in worship this morning? I don't know, that was super encouraging for my soul, and uh, I appreciate all the work they do to serve the local church. And uh, I have the joy with you to be in here through our Bottom Line series. We're going through the summer, and uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Foster Toft, and I serve as the Director of Student Ministries over at Bethel Crown Point. And so I'm the not-as-cool Scott Irwin over there, so or as tall. So I serve over there, and I am filled with joy to be able to be here. I'm here with my family, and uh, I am the husband of Emily, and then I have two sons named Boston and Denver, and I've never been to those cities. We just named our kids those, those names because that's what we agreed on. And so if you have kids, you'll get there one day. But uh, those are the names of our sons, and uh, I am very excited to be with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, this, during this week, um, I was gone at, uh, down at Southern Seminary this, all this past week. When I was down there, um, I was trying to work on this message. And my first draft of this message was literally, I was just going to read the whole chapter for us. And uh, you can do that in your own time. But uh, I encourage you to, after this, and just to dive into your Bibles and read it because it's so good. And today we're just going to be focusing primarily on verse 6 of this chapter. And uh, I'm going to be going a little bit sandwiched between that, looking at what the chapter has for us. Because it is so special for us as we study this because we're given an aspect of faith that is crucial to our lives. Um, as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of the new Disney Plus series, Loki. And uh, in my opinion, it's the best thing Marvel has ever created. It's so good. And I promise you, I'm not going to spoil anything for you if you haven't finished yet. But the only thing I'm going to mention today was only through searching. It's, it's, it's already referred to as a meme. So once it's a meme, you had your shot. You missed it. So if it's a meme, I'm going to talk about that. But uh, in the dear Disney series Loki, it takes one episode to get into that everything we've learned about the Marvel Universe 10 years leading up to it meant nothing, really. Just throw it out. And uh, particularly in one scene that re particularly reminded me of this message is when Loki talks to our favorite character, Casey, in the series. He's this front desk guy, and uh, Loki is threatening him and all this, and he pulls open his desk drawer, and inside is filled with infinity stones. And in there, it's just like, you have infinity stones? He's like, oh yeah, we use those as paperweights around here, is what he says. And that reminded me of this message because faith allows us to perceive the realities of heaven without immediate access to it right now. And when we look at faith through those lenses, things aren't always as they seem they are in your life. They aren't as they seem because faith looks to what God has said and to the promises of God and we live our lives based off that. So today, Christian, I want to see what infinity stones you may have in your life. And we're going to look at them properly and how they're proven to be paperweights. But also for the person in this room who may identify as the non-Christian, the unchurched. If you're in this room and you aren't a follower of Christ, I hope that this message would convict your soul in that for the first time, you can see the paperweights in your life for what they truly are. 
they're no good. And we're going to look to the founder and perfecter of our faith. That is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we're going to be looking at that. So with that, I want to encourage you to look at verse 6 with me. We're going to read this and go through this text together. All right? Awesome. So Hebrews eleven six. This is God's word. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And he rewards those who seek him. Again, that's the passage I was giving to you this morning. And we're going to be looking at a lot of what makes that verse extra special in uh, Hebrews 11. But the kind of my title of my message today is Faith is Reality Itself. Faith is Reality Itself. And my goal today to kind of show my cards, and I hear really do this big behind the veil at the end of my sermon. It's really like, I just want to, we're going to walk through this message together, and I hope to not just see faith in a purely theological sense of like, it's by faith you are saved, and, uh, but also in its practical sense, that if faith is by the means that everyone is brought into a proper relationship with God, then it also has its practical sense to how it impacts us every day. And so we're going to see both of those for how they are, but also then give us a way that we're going to read our Bibles in light of that, that the Bible is a well of just beautiful passages that we're going to see how God has a continually story that we're going to love. So that is our aim for today. And so we're going to be looking at three ways that faith is reality itself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. Lord, I ask for wisdom that I don't have, and I know that uh, by my own merit, my own will, that it'll do nothing. And so, Father, we pray that you are the champion today, that it's your words that people hear, it is by your words people are changed, it is by your words we find life itself. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would submit to you, that we would repent of our sins, and that we would go after you and run to you as the prize. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? So, our aim today is not to purely exegete the Bible, but let the Bible exegete us. That's what we want. The Bible is going to exegete us and pull out the things that we need to repent of and see us properly in light of God's word. So our first point this morning is this. If faith is reality itself, according to our passage, we can be pleasing to God. We are called to view everything through the reality that you can be pleasing to God. To which when I was preparing for this message, I was kind of reminded of, I think, some aspects where people try to be noble, but um, it undermines your relationship with Christ. And that is uh, Isaiah 64, 6a, where it says, all of your righteousness are nothing but polluted rags before the Lord. You are basically utterly vermin before God. And a lot of passages or in people who I was taught by growing up viewed um, the relationship between the Christian and God is like you bring nothing to the table, nothing, nothing, nothing. And we don't when it comes to us submitting to God for salvation. But if we look at the positive of this notion, it's like without faith, you cannot be pleasing to God. The positive that by faith, you can be. Without faith, you cannot be pleasing to God. But when you do walk by faith, you can be pleasing to God. You can have a relationship with him. You can draw near to him. And you can grow in your love for him. And I was reminded of that as I was preparing for this, because if we view that it's like nothing, your righteous deeds are rags before God, 
And it really just like, well, uh, the, what's this life? What's this life between you're saved and the grave? It's just like, well, I just live and then I die and then I'm with God. It's like, no. It's this life, part of enjoying God is that you are pleasing to him in what you do. So you cannot be pleasing to him and you can be pleasing to him. We are pleasing to Christ when we choose to set our hope on the things God would say would happen. So first off, we got to look at the, where's, what is this definition of faith? Where do we get this idea? And Hebrews 11.1 1 kind of sets the foundation for us. If you look at Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That right there alone is like a bedrock passage to how we operate in our lives and that faith becomes reality itself. Because if faith is reality, it is the assurance of things hoped for. We have to ask ourselves, what is hoped for? What is ultimately hoped for? And it's an assurance of things hoped for. And then after that, is the conviction, the way you live in the things that are not seen. I invite you to look at verse 5 in this text with me as we see sign that the prethora of by faith people. Verse 5 tells us this. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended of having pleased God. I don't know how familiar you are with Old Testament narrative or just the story of Genesis, but rather Genesis, besides just being the first chapter in your Bible, is just the bedrock passage to where we get the plot of the Bible. We get to how everything else unfolds, particularly found within those genealogies that you and I struggle to read. Often. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, those genealogies, those are just like where you take an inhale and you flip your page, right? But if like one thing that's cool with those genealogies, I, I want to implore you, maybe a different way to see those is the Genesis sets up the plot of the Bible in terms of who is the promised seed. And if you read through the, the seed of the genealogies, it's basically the, the author, Moses, and you go throughout the whole Old Testament, why Matthew starts his gospel with the genealogy and saying, is this the guy? Is this the guy? Is this the guy? Is this the guy? And not just for historical context, but really looking at the hope of who is the promised seed of the woman found in Genesis 3.15. Who is the one who will crush the head of the serpent? Now, one thing that impacts our passage here today is Enoch in his context in the Old Testament, which is really cool, is you're just giving between um, uh, Genesis 4 and 5, you're getting two sets of genealogies. You're given the genealogy of Seth and the genealogy of Cain. You and I all know who Cain is. If you've grown up in the church, he's the first murderer in Scripture. But one thing that's interesting about Cain, if you were to lead, read through Cain's line, you're seeing, you see a lot of success. These are the people who built cities, iron workers, musicians. Daniel isn't part of the line of Cain, I promise. But it's musicians and all these things that people, to world degree, have success. But then you go to the line of Seth. And you see people who walked by faith, pointing back to what was said by God. There would be a son who will crush the head of the serpent. So the genealogies show us Enoch's life here of having commended, of having pleased God. The story develops to see things aren't as they say they are. 
Things are not as they seem. And part of that, you read into Enoch's genealogy. I believe right before him, you have a dude by the name of Methuselah. Name your next child Methuselah. Great. But Methuselah literally means death shall come in Hebrew. And guess what happened the year he died? The flood. And so literally within the line of the promised seed, you're getting a context of how we should read our Bibles. God says he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And people believed it. A way to illustrate this out is I'm by no means a fisherman, so don't invite me because I'm bad and I don't enjoy it. But uh, one thing you're seeing is you go down a stream, you're seeing like bass as they jump opposite of the current. As the world goes down one way of the current, the bass jump backwards. And Enoch and those of the lines are like, no, we're not going that way. We're going to what God said would happen. We're going this way. Don't do it. And that's what pleased God. So here, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith perceives the realities of heaven, even when you don't understand. When you walk by faith, you point back to that. So a question I have to ask you in this room is when you see the success, we're just going to be honest, of the wicked in your life, do you presume that they are blessed rather than you know that things aren't what they seem? Because at the heart of it, that's like the heart of most of the Psalms we read in the Bible. The Psalms are the prayers that you're too scared to pray yourself. Being downright honest with God. And you're saying, well, God, I know like, I'm not supposed to be mad right now, but you know, this isn't true. My, my two-year-old is having that fit again. The Psalms allow you to really walk by faith and say, God, things aren't what they say, how you said they will be. I need you to act in the way that you will act because you said this is what you will do. The psalmist writes, like, God, wake up. It's not literally that God's asleep, but he's saying, God, you know this is not how you said things are going to be. And so faith, you can be pleasing to God because you're looking back to how God said things will be as they say they are. While the world is going one way, Enoch and others in the line looked the other way. This becomes really practical for us today because you can downright know today if you're being pleasing to God or not. In your choices today, you can know if faith is reality itself, you can know if you're being pleasing or not. And that helps me because I'm naturally a black and white person. I hate gray areas in life. If there's anyone in this room that hates gray I go and say, no, that's a gray issue. I hate the gray. I reject the gray. I'm like, no, I need black and white. People are either good or evil. Just like, that's it. (laughs) Super helpful, right? But this helps us in in that sense of faith is reality itself because we can see our heart's motive if we're trusting God or not. Like, do your everyday choices reflect a complete faith in Christ or do, they, or do we compromise and we try to join the rest of the fish going downstream? This comes to our entertainment choices. This comes to how we talk about our spouses. This comes to how you're going to interact with your friends. Everything is tied. When you look back, is God going to do what he says he's going to do? The Bible isn't devoid of the past. It's right here in how we're living today. This framework also gives us a true picture to how we can view suffering and joy in our life. If, again, if faith is reality itself, 
It means that you as the Christian in this room can be the most honest about suffering and the most honest about joy. Because faith doesn't take suffering at face value because God's word tells us what all the suffering in your life is for. When we walk by faith, God tells us in his word what your hardships are for, and it is preparing us for glory. When we walk by faith, it means we can actually have authentic joy because joy, at its definition, is this heightened contentment. You have heightened contentment. That's what makes Psalm 23 even more special for us. And it's the same God who's in the mountaintops, the same God who's in the valley. And David wrote that when he was in a valley. When we walk by faith, we're not dictated by our circumstances. We're dictated what God said. And if that is the framework, we can say it another way. Being pleasing to God does not depend on your outward performance, but rather your inward dependence on God doing what he said he's going to do. That is how we can view everything. Faith operates by the presumption that God is who he says he is. When we operate through this reality, God doesn't just, um, just give us a theological frame to work. Our convictions become solidified. The second part of Hebrews 11.1 1 is important for us because it says, now faith is the hope and the assurance of hope, but also the convictions of things not seen. Your convictions lie on what things you will do and what you won't do. And if your faith is reality, your convictions become solidified in how you're going to be a person who stands their ground and make choices. From the smallest things that you're going to break your diet this week to the biggest things of like, no, I will not bow down. Your convictions become solidified. And that means that we don't need a sign that God will do something in our lives today because he ultimately gave us the sign found in Jesus Christ on the cross. If this is literally our framework and we have the entirety of the Bible, we can see that God will do what he says he'll do because he did it by sending Jesus Christ on the cross to die for our sins. Again, but the favorite, my favorite passage in all scripture, I touched base on this a couple weeks ago when I was at Crown Point preaching, is Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32 tells us, he who did not spare his own son but graciously gave himself up for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things? When faith is reality itself, we don't have to say, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? That means Jesus will never give you second best because Jesus already gave you the best himself. So the Christian today can know Jesus will never give you second best. Never. And when faith is your reality, you can view any circumstance in that light and find joy. But on the flip side of this, your faith will reveal where you're at. This reminds me of Paul when he argues earlier in Romans 8. When he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh cannot do by sending his own son in likeness and sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds on things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit have their minds on things of the spirit. For the mind that's set in the flesh is death. The mind that's set in the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set in the flesh is hostile towards God because it cannot submit to the law, of God, the law of God. Indeed, it cannot. For those of the flesh cannot please God. And if that's true, that those of the flesh cannot please God, then we have to look at our lives and say, we can't have our cake and eat it for two. 
It's either we're walking by faith and that's how we please God or we're walking by the flesh and we are not. That is the reality we have to live by. They cannot please God. When we live by God's promises and truly believe them, we will be pleasing to Christ and you'll be satisfied and thus walking by the Spirit. The next point this morning is when faith is reality itself, you will draw near to God. People don't draw near to God unless you want to be pleasing to him. You won't. Your hidden sins in my life and your life means that you don't want to draw near to God when you're doing and when you're walking on righteousness. So those who are living by faith will draw near to God because you're pleased with him will compel you towards him. And when you draw near to God, that's when you walk by faith. That's when you're walking by, literally walking by the spirit. To which when the Bible, again, all this is connected when we read our Bibles. Thus, when we're walking by the Spirit, we get the fruits of the Spirit. You don't get the fruits of the Spirit with not being with other people. You get the fruits of the Spirit by being with other people. You're not patient with yourselves. You're the most patient person with yourself. You get the fruits of the Spirit when you are walking by the Spirit, when you are walking by faith, drawing near to God. Again, I bring that up because, again, all the, if this is connected, it's all connected. And faith is not just this wanniverse we learn to try to implore our, our children and students, say, okay, that's the gospel, you have to believe that. No, it doesn't stop there. Faith becomes the grounding to how you view everything in your life. Everything. We don't leave it just at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We live by it day by day. which makes this very special for us because if that's true, we see how God is so patient towards us. God doesn't have faith in you. God is faithful, meaning he has complete faith in himself that he'll do what he said he'll do. That makes passage such as faith the size of the mustard seed impactful for us. That makes when we are faithless, he is faithful impactful for us. Because as, the, as Moses writes in Deuteronomy, when Israel was walking in faithlessness, God is described as the father who picked up his son and put him on his back and walked through the wilderness. That's why faith in Christ is so impactful for us. Again, a second point is you'll draw near to God. The word faith and belief in this is the same word in the Greek when it comes to these, sec, these two sections. If you read your Bibles and says, without faith, you cannot be pleasing to God in order for John, you must believe that God exists. That is the same word in Greek as pistis or pisteo used in the verb here, which naturally draws us towards that you will be, when you are pleasing to God, you'll want to be close to him. It's the same idea, same concept. It's not like you want to be like, oh, I'm pleasing to my boss who lives across the country. No, to be pleasing and walking by faith to God means you want to be near him. You want to be near him. Because this personally builds off the previous point, because living our lives by faith is never measured by the amounts of your faith, but the object of your faith. It's never by the amounts of your faith, but the object of your faith. Your reality of faith will be exposed by if you are progressively drawing near to God. In order for you to be pleasing God, you simply have to believe that God exists. And you won't want to draw near to God if you don't want to be pleasing to him. 
Hebrews gives us an exclusive view, though, of being pleasing God, because if this is intertwined together, your reality of faith become evident through your rejection of worldly passions or your dependence on righteousness. To say it another way, your faith will expose your sanctification. It will expose it. Not at being perfect, not that you're going to be great, but your sanctification going back to the cross. I want to invite you to look at verses 17 through 22 with me. Again, this is just sandwiched together. This whole You have to read this whole chapter because it's just beautiful. And I hope that once you're done with this message, you'll be like, wow, I really love Hebrews 11. But just a portion of this is verse 17, which says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the blessing that was an act of the offering of a son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's important. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is one of those passages where you just write, praise Jesus, because Abraham, Joseph, they believed in a resurrection from the dead. And Abraham said, like, oh, whom? This will be the offspring who you come. That's language pointing back to Genesis 3.15. This is the promised seed that will come. And Abraham's like, all right, I can offer up Isaac, even when it's hard, even when it's just the most horrendous thing I have to do in my life, because God said he'll do what he said he'll do. And I know that I can sacrifice my son, and guess what? God will raise him from the dead. Joseph, when promised, referring back to the Exodus, he knew that God was giving Israel promised land. And he says, made mention of my bones. Joseph, at the end of his life, said, take my bones with you, because guess what? I plan on rising from the dead, and I plan on seeing this with my own eyes. And that is the same faith you and I share. Hey, friends, the resurrection is a big deal, and it, it, it is coming that we will rise from the dead and see Jesus face to face. And it is awesome. And that's why Hebrews 11 is extra special, because all these people is by faith, by faith, by faith. Their reality was God is going to fulfill that promise, and we're going. And we share in it. It is our reality. Because Abraham and Joseph, what information did they have in their circumstances? Only God's word. That's it. I mean, it's special if you're, um, I want to uh, highlight just Joseph's story for a moment. Is uh if you ever want to read a story that probably can best relate to you, it's the problem. It's the story of Joseph. Because if you read the story of Joseph, not one time does God, like, talk to Joseph. Never. But Joseph acted the way he acted, believed the things he believed because he believed God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And you and I can respond the same way and not compromise in situations. We can believe that. So the question I have for us this is, what does your life reveal? 
not only are you pleasing to God, but are you drawing near to him? Does your life categorize someone who, in whatever situation, not as perfect as it is, you are drawing near to God? Because I like it how Spurgeon puts it. I've learned to kiss the wave that knocks me towards the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that knocks me towards the rock of ages. Or to quote someone who I think is just as better as Mr. Beaver from the Chronicles of Narnia series. <laughs> I love C.S. Lewis in Narnia. And when, and when Susan is hearing first about Aslan and being described of his character, um, she says, Mr. Beaver, I'll be quite nervous to approach a lion. Is he safe? Mr. Beaver looks at Susan and says, oh, no, he is not safe but he is good. And when we draw near to God, it's not safe for your comfort in this life, but he is good. He is the king, and he will take you where you need, where you need to go because he is a good king who went before us, which leads us to our next and final point, if faith is reality itself, we will get the rewards from God. The Lord rewards those who seek him, as the verse says. If you were to do a study on rewards in Hebrew, in Hebrews rather, if you look to every mention of the word reward throughout that book, you'll see a lot of different aspects of it. You'll see rest. You'll see peace. You'll see um, just communion with God. But all those find their climax in Hebrews 12. So as we read that, is the reward, the rewards that find their fulfillment in Christ, and they are not seen to be benefits purely in this life, but to enjoy Christ in every area of your life. I want to invite you to look at, fine with me, it's Hebrews 11, 39. We're going to read to the end there, and we're going to see how God rewards those who seeks him. Verse 39 says, and, and these, the people who walk by faith, and all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that, from, for that apart from us, they shall not be made perfect. Verse 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, all the people mentioned in Hebrews 11, that's the great crowd. Since we're crowded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at verse two. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. The point of biblical history isn't to highlight a bunch of Bible stories but to highlight a single person. The point of biblical history is to find everything, find its climax and culmination in Jesus. The Bible does a great job of roasting everyone but one person. Everyone gets roasted but one. Not even your favorite boy, David, gets roasted. Everyone, because you know the point is, when it says here in verse 40, God provides something better in order that they should not be perfected. They're not the main character of their story. Jesus is. You're not the main character of your story. Jesus is. And if you are the main character of your story, it's going to be a sad DC film compared to Marvel. <laughs> That's it. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't like DC, but it's whatever. <laughs> Amen. Because here's the reality. is Some Christians, if we're honest with ourselves in this room, some Christians have adopted the reality that the gospel is purely us going to heaven. It's, hey, in the end of this life, I get to go to heaven. And that undermines the gospel even more. John Piper, in his book, which I would argue is his best book of God is the gospel, he starts his, the Bible with a thesis question for us. And he says, if all of your family, your kids, your cousins, your second cousins, all of your family were in heaven, if all of your desires were in heaven, if everything you've ever wanted in this life is in heaven, but Jesus isn't in heaven, would you still go? That chilling question when we have to look at the gospel and say, okay, especially, I get it, if you're a parent in this room, if anything, it's like someone says, hey, you can go to heaven. All of your kids will be there. All of your friends will be there. All your favorite hobbies will be there. But Jesus isn't there. Would you still go? And that question is a sobering reality for us because the rewards, those, God rewards those who seek him. The reward is Christ. Is to, walking by faith is Christ. Again, we read our Bibles. All those guys who walk by faith, a lot of them were given some great options to go off towards success. You could have it. And Jesus was tempted in the same way you and I are with Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. You can have it all. And it's a chilling reality for us. Because if faith is reality itself and we see no life outside of Christ, we have to say no to that reality because it will never satisfy. And a heaven without Christ is just a different type of hell. It is. We don't want that. We're trying to get back to Eden. Actually, better than Eden. This is a side caveat in this room. You have a better position now than Adam and Eve did. We have a better relationship now with God than Adam and Eve did because the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is our prize. To bring it all back, some of us want paperweights when we're offered something far better, the Son of Man. And with him comes everything. Everything. So a list of questions I have for us is this, is do we see faith not as a blind hope, but rather a clear expectation? Your faith isn't blind. Your faith is, I know how things will be. I perceive the realities of heaven even when I don't have immediate access to it. Do we see everything in our lives based off of the promises of God? Do we seek to be pleasing to Christ in our daily choices, which shows if we're walking by faith? Are we drawn near to God by faith that is seeing their being pleasing to God? Does your drawing nearness reveal that you're being pleasing? 
Do we repent of our faithlessness and seek to operate as someone who sees everything in light of Jesus' victory on the cross? Do we just see Jesus as the reward? One of my mentors put it for me this way. If we're going to make faith an acronym, faith stands for forsake all, I trust him. Forsake all, I trust him. Friends, is he safe? No. But he's good. In this life, your suffering is preparing you for glory beyond all comparison. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, so that when you see Christ face to face, you will say, that's my Jesus. Mine.